I'm Peter Mudlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. And if this is your first time hearing our show, good news, it's a really simple idea that we've all had teachers in our lives who helped us become who we are today. And every educator we have on this podcast, whether a teacher, coach, or professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. We want you to be a part of this show, so please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the folks in your community who deserve a spotlight. You can email us with your nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. I know I probably always say this, but today is an episode I'm really excited about. So you know, typically when people think of this show and the educators we feature, I think there's a perception to think of traditional classroom teachers, you know, a high school English teacher or a fourth grade teacher. But the educator umbrella is so much wider than that. And we featured all sorts of educators on this show. And today is a new one. We've got my conversation with Jamie Vargo and Carl Linder, dance instructors at Vargo's Dance in Geneva, Illinois. We talked about both of their distinct careers in dance, how to create a fun and educational environment for social dance, how they had to pivot for the company to survive during the early years of the pandemic, their annual Michael Jackson thriller street performance, and so much more. Now, before that conversation, I have two other education stories we want to share. Some Northern Illinois school districts are seeing an increase in migrant students over the past few years. And I got to talk to people about how Rockford Public Schools is helping their newcomer students and why some teachers say they don't have enough support. The auditorium at East High School in Rockford is packed with students presenting science projects. They're all new to the districts. In fact, they're new to America. They're from countries across the globe, Iraq, Syria, and Uganda. That's not even counting students from Spanish-speaking countries like Venezuela who go to Jefferson High School. Many of them have been in the U.S. and Rockford for less than six months, and some arrived much more recently. The carbon atom has six protons, six neutrons, six electrons. This student from Tanzania has only been in Rockford for less than a month. He and his peers have been working on their My Favorite Molecule project for a few weeks now, and they showed off detailed PowerPoint presentations about the types of bonds the molecule is made of and where it's commonly found. There are 58 high school-age newcomers in the district and dozens more in the middle and elementary schools. Susan Griffith teaches them science and math at East High School. She was just hired this year because of the increase in newcomers, and they're close to needing to hire another teacher, too. She says a lot of her students are coming into her classroom with trauma. Many of them have even been in refugee camps. It's not easy. I mean, I got four new kids this week. I've got new kids coming next week, and they know zero English when they walk in the door, and I'm teaching them chemistry. But it's extremely rewarding. I'm exhausted every single day, but I love it every minute. Some arrive with very little prior education. Griffith sees how hard her students work to catch up and get ahead. I assigned all of fourth grade, a math teacher here helped me. It was 460 assignments. They did it in two weeks. Regina, she spent 11,000 minutes on Khan Academy since the mid-September. Dr. Misael Nascimento is the executive director of the Bilingual and Multicultural Department at RPS. And let's say they come as a junior in high school, so there's not enough time to teach them English, and there's not enough time to teach them content. The probability of someone like that graduating, very small. He says they need more subject area teachers for these kids who can help them with both language and academic support. Nascimento also says the district is planning a newcomer center, which would be a hub for these students and their families and connecting them with community resources. Students aren't in newcomer programs forever. If students come in with no prior education, they could stay for as long as five years before transitioning into English as a second language and general education education classes. There is no newcomer program at the elementary school level, and students are scattered across the district's many elementary schools. They receive 30 minutes per day of direct ESL instruction. 
Maria Altamirano is a bilingual teacher at Washington Elementary School, and she gave public comment at a Rockford School Board meeting expressing her frustration over a lack of support from the district. When we get newcomers, we are not even notified that they're coming, but yet we're expected to serve them as much as we can. Altamirano says they spend a lot of time translating assignments and assessments into the student's native language. She also echoed the need for more mental health support for her kids some of whom have been separated from their families or had parents killed. A lot of them, as I'm teaching in English, this new curriculum that we have, all they can do is sit there and just stare. And it hurts me because I want to serve and I want to help them as much as I can, but I don't have those resources that I believe I should get from the bilingual department. Eric Archer is a social studies teacher and curriculum leader at Risa Middle School. He says that their bilingual program is overloaded with students beyond state guidelines. He says there are more students who need bilingual services than classrooms available. And that means that students who can't read or write English sometimes end up in his general education social studies classes. I got a new student last week who doesn't speak a word of English, and I've got to try to figure out how to teach that student American history. Well, how does that work? Google Translate for some of it. Thankfully, some students around are able to translate. There's a couple people in the building that I can send them to for extra help, but it's not an ideal situation. I can't even imagine what that would feel like as as a new student. So here you're dropped into my classroom with 32 other kids and you don't have any idea what's going on. Nascimento says he wasn't aware of this problem and that it's not an issue throughout the whole district. And he says he would follow up with the building principal. In the meantime, back at East High School, Susan Griffith is trying to build her newcomer students' academic language and help them feel more comfortable in their new home. We took them to an art museum. They'd never been. It's learning about our community, our state, and our country. That's our social studies units. Yesterday, we took them bowling. I have hilarious videos. They visited a farm and got to meet miniature horses. There are also very practical trips, like going to meet the mayor, going to a restaurant to practice ordering food in English, or Rock Valley College. There's three of us, and we will do whatever it takes to make their lives better and help them learn. Because even though the system isn't perfect, and even though they don't always have the most resources, their students still need them. And up next, another school district seeing more migrant students is U46 in Elgin, the state's second largest school district. And I got to talk to folks about how the district is trying to help those newcomer students. A small group of students are practicing how to order food in English. This is Larson Middle School's English Club. They meet a few times a week to sharpen their language skills and make new friends. Some even come to keep their Spanish strong after spending all day in English classes. Andrea Carrera Valdez is a seventh grade English as a second language or ESL teacher. She's leading them through listening tests after they watch scenes from Beauty and the Beast with subtitles. We play clips mainly in English so they can listen to English too because in their houses they're just talking in Spanish so they don't get used to listening to English. Carrera Valdez has been seeing more newcomer students over the past few years. That's true for the district as a whole, too. Just this fall, U46 added nearly 700 newcomer students, some of whom come from families seeking asylum in the U.S. They're from countries like Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, and Guatemala. They also get students from places like India and Ukraine, too. Last year, they had 70 new Ukrainian students. When newcomer students arrive, their first stop is the Family Welcome Center. Brenda Escobedo is the center's coordinator. It's where families can register their kids and where they conduct testing, but families often come to the district with needs that extend beyond what the district can provide, whether it be housing, immigration, or work. Every new family, they're receiving like a folder with all the resources available in the community because, you know, so they can see it, review everything that applies to them. And sometimes, you know, they're they're kind of shy and they don't want to share everything that they need, so we prepare like a packet for them so with all the information in Algin. Throughout the school year, the district has been hosting newcomer parent support group events where parents can ask questions about where they can find their kids' grades, how to connect with school counselors, and receive district communication. They also had food and free winter coats at the last one. At the school level, staff have also formed newcomer groups this year. Maricel Reyna is an English language learner teacher at Larson Middle School. The groups are comprised of the teachers and staff who work with them the most and try to foster a sense of belonging in the building. It helps that 75% of Larson students are Hispanic too. 
Last year, at the end of the year, we had many newcomers come, you know, the last two months of school. So then my brain just started spinning, like, we need to do something. We can't just throw them in and say good luck because they come with so much. She says they usually only have a few days notice that a newcomer's arriving. And because they do come with so much, she says mental health support for newcomer students is crucial. I wish more people knew about everything that they go through to get here, especially some families that have traveled by foot, you know, from all the way from Panama. And they go through deserts, the forests, you know, all of that. And Kids are old enough to remember all of that now, and they come with all of that here, and we expect them to be academically ready. Some of them have had to leave family and friends behind. Ziamara Gill is a resident administrator, basically an administrator in training at U46. She says it's always a challenge to have enough mental health support. Those positions are difficult for many schools to staff, especially when you need a Spanish-speaking school counselor or school social worker. Having the personnel, the staff available all the time, that could be a struggle. That's definitely, I think, an area that I would say we could use a little bit more, maybe. Gil says they've been doing small group counseling to try to provide as much support to the students as possible. She's seen some students, understandably, get emotional reflecting on their journey. They also encourage older newcomers to become leaders to help younger kids. And she says they also come across challenges you might not consider. We have students who have interrupted education and they don't have any documents. They don't have any way to prove anything. So there's it's a limbo that they can. It's easier for younger students. They can usually just place them with kids in their age group. But they've had 17 year old high school students in freshman level classes due to a lack of credits. Countries like Venezuela are also on a different school calendar. They finish the school year in November. So when they arrive, it can be hard to know where to place them. And staff also want newcomers to have the opportunity to be normal kids, to make friends, go on field trips, and play sports. Gill remembers a high school student who came last year and just wanted to play volleyball. He asked for a volleyball t-shirt and when the games were going to be. But they weren't sure if his international credits would count, but they advocated with the IHSA and got him the chance to play. He made it up to the varsity teams when he got in. So he was, his face, his demeanor, everything, he was just so happy. He went from wanting just a volleyball t-shirt to being on the varsity team. At the end of the day, Raina says to remember that these are just kids, many of whom have been through a lot. And it's important to help them start to address that and find their place in their new school, new community, and new country so they can start to thrive. All right, now it is time for my conversation with dance instructors Carl Linder and Jamie Vargo of Vargo's Dance. Enjoy. Yeah, so I like to say we're not your average dance studio. Um, in that we're 21 and older, first off. And then second, um, we focus more on social dancing than yeah. uh, solo dancing or jazz, tap, ballet, things like that. So we also um, just teach partner dancing here. So anything you can do as a partnership, like salsa or swing dancing, hustle, most couples and singles are just kind of looking to get ready for like a social event or right. a wedding or- you A lot know, of frantic people a couple of weeks out from the wedding. Yeah, yeah. lots yeah, of things I like that. Imagine. Or if you go to a bar and you hear some live music and you want to be able to grab somebody and just dance. So that's kind of what we're getting ready for Yeah. most of the time. We also have a liquor license that makes us a little bit different. I'll say, because that's not typical for, for dance studios. It's like. not typical, uh, I don't think, at least not done the legal way like we have. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> we went through all the legal. channels. Yeah. Try and keep it legal. Yeah, I saw that on the website it talks about like social dance. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just like an interesting phrase because like in a lot of ways, especially with the liquor license, like obviously like nominally you guys teach dance, which is like the primary thing, but like you guys are also really in like the mood and vibe business because you're having to like cultivate exactly right. this atmosphere that is both like fun and comfortable, but also where you do in fact learn something at the end of the day, right? It's not just like, oh, right. we're having a party where everyone is like, you know, five Manhattans deep. <laughs> You'd be amazed at how many people don't realize that, what you just said. That's yeah. huge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's super huge. huge. Agreed. Um, a lot of people come because they're looking for friendship or community, and then they end up learning dance secondary. Uh, a lot of people come, their goal is to learn how to dance, and then they end up finding friendship and community. So it's, it's really cool. It does kind of intertwine. Is that something that you guys thought about, like going into the business being like, because I feel like so much with teachers, right? Like when you start teaching, and I know that you were teaching before you had this business too, but like you get into it and you're like, I just have to know how to do the thing, right? Like, I just have to actually know how to communicate dance. But then you learn that 
the social and like the emotional part of it is just as important, if not more so than the technical aspects of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think you were, when, I was shocked when you said two subjects, one dance and the other one teaching, because they are not related. Right. They are very different subjects. They're, they're, both of them are arts within themselves. Yeah. I think that's accurate. I don't think a lot of people understand that either. Mm -hmm. All your interviewing must have gotten you talking to a lot of people about a lot of things. Plus, <laughs> yes. you have an interesting family background, too. Right. And, like, for, for both of you, obviously, like, you're both teachers, you're both dancers, and obviously the dancing probably came first for both of you. But, like, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are fantastic dancers that are not very good at communicating and teaching dance. Right. I think that goes for any skill, right? Yeah. Just because you're an amazing skier doesn't mean you can teach skiing. <laughs> Same thing for dance. We find that all the time. Um, dance is the only thing I've ever done, so... Uh, I've been teaching since I was 17, and I've been dancing since I was five. Yeah. Um, I know Carl has taught his whole life, but not necessarily dance. He got into dance later in life. So. Really? Yes. yes. So you were, you were teaching before you got into dance then? I spent my whole life in the martial training world. Really? So I ran martial training facilities. Uh, I opened my first one when I was 20 years old. Before that, I helped... Uh, I helped run a school for the coach of the U.S. national team and the Illinois state team. So I did that as a youth. And then uh, when I was 20 years old, I lied on paperwork, and I opened up my first school on the south side of Chicago. And so I did that my whole life. I've only been, I've been teaching dance now for about 25 years. So I got into dance at a later date, but I was teaching. I've been helping teach classes probably since I was 14 years old, mm -hmm. and I'm 61 now. <laughs> it's a long time. So I've been teaching for a long time. Yeah, and then how long has Vargo been around? Uh, we just celebrated our 13th year. Do you feel like has, it, has the business and what you guys do and like your approach to it, has it changed or evolved? Or Since COVID or in general? In general and obviously I'm sure I think in the beginning, I was, uh, so there's there's a lot of different categories of, of what we call ballroom dance studios. Um, some that just focus on ballroom dancing. So they're like competition focused and um, performance focused and um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So that's how I was in the beginning. My business model was very uh, Fred Astaire, Arthur Murray type, um, very franchise type. And then I started realizing about six years in that that's not really what the majority of people want. They just want to have fun and dance. And I thought alcohol was a part of that. And most of the people I imagine that come in here don't really have much experience. No, none. Yeah. Usually none. Yeah. yeah, so they're not looking to be the next Fred Astaire. They just want to go out and dance and have a good time when they hear live music or go on a cruise or go to get invited to a wedding or something like that or get married. But they're not looking to put on a $7,000 dress and perform in front of, you know, 20, 30 people. So we're real lucky here. We get a variety. We do get a variety. We get a big variety. We get everything from people that want to be competitive dancers to people that just want to have a good time. Um, like you said earlier, people, people, I've had to really open my eyes over the last handful of years at just how realistic it is that people start dance for a lot of different reasons. And a lot of times it's not about the dance too. So right. uh, they end up, that ends up being something that they end up more involved in as they go on. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but no, everybody wants something a little different. And so how flexible can you be within the boundaries of still teaching them to dance? And that's a dance, learning how to juggle that a little bit. For sure. That's, that's an interesting thing within itself. Uh, just respecting everybody's reasons for what they're doing, why they're doing it, and keeping that balance that you're talking about. And when you yeah. know the reasons for why they're wanting to do it, it makes it a lot easier to work with them. Yes. You know, whether it's looking for community because they, you know, recently lost somebody in their life or whether um, they want the physical aspect of it because it's more fun, they think, than going to the gym or they might even be looking for love and this is their way they want to try and find it or they really love dance, you know, and they're kind of bringing back a hobby that they haven't done since they were in high school. So knowing why they're here really helps us to work with each individual, it's I think. something they can do from high school. You, you can dance until you can't move anymore. And, and it's, for some, for some people they come in and it's a, it's a date night out. We get, we get a lot of that too. Lots for some of couples night. that are married, it's a date night out and it's something they, they can do. That's a, a whole, 
heck of a lot healthier than sitting on the couch eating potato chips and watching TV at night. It's interesting about the motivation part that you were mentioning, because like, I'm sure that for some people it's crystal clear, right? Like for some people it is literally, this is a night dance. out. They this is about dance. I'm getting married. I want to learn how to do X, Y, and Z. But right. like for the people looking for a sense of community or people looking for love, like that might not be something that people explicitly voice when they come and they might just be like, oh, I'm trying to get back out Absolutely there. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I don't Absolutely think it's ever not. explicitly voiced. Yeah. That would be really interesting if someone did come in here and they're like, they're I'm like, looking for love. We want love. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not only that, but it's amazing how it starts as one thing and turns into others too. Yeah. So that happens a lot also. Yeah, that's a good point. They start out looking for one thing and they start getting involved in the dance and they find out that it's a, a skill that they want to develop. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that there's some people that fall into a thing with, with hobbies. And I think that everyone's guilty of this to some degree or another where you, you get into the thing and you're like, I want to just like have fun and I want to dance and you don't have a, a complete objective in mind, and people, right. think that they, people think that they're like, okay, well, I start dancing. That means that, like, eventually I should be, like, a competitive dancer. Like, people get into, like, this real growth mindset of it. And I'm like, you actually don't. You can actually just do this to enjoy this. Right. Instead right. of having, like, these concrete, like, steps up that Absolutely. you want to reach. For sure, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you have the people who get um, discouraged because they're not moving along fast enough. There are people who come in and they get frustrated. They're like... I never thought it would be this difficult. And then, right. there are, and then there are other people that come in and they go, you know what, uh, I only intend to do this for a month or two, and three years later we're going, whatever happened in a month or two? <laughs> yeah. So that happens a lot too. Mm -hmm. that happens That's kind of what I so like about dances because you never feel like you've mastered it. Like you're always, you're always learning. Like, I'm still learning. We still take classes. We train. You still take I saw on the website that you still do some competitive dance, right? Or yeah, so I'm not competing. Post-COVID, I haven't competed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the competition scene's kind of changed a little bit. It's sure, actually sure. just coming back now. Uh -huh. um, and uh, we, haven't really, we haven't really gotten back into the com competitive scene. Some of my other instructors are still, you know, showcasing and performing and competing. Right. So, but I, I kind of just fell in love with the social aspect of everything, and I'm loving i'm loving the studio life right now so but well, you were saying you still take classes and things like we that. we still train anytime, for sure. we get a, anytime we get a chance like it's always it's always good to jump in a class somewhere yeah. anytime yeah yes absolutely as a matter of fact we spend enough time teaching to where it gets a little frustrating there's a lot of times that we would like to play too i know i was actually that's exactly what i was planning to ask you about is yeah. that, like obviously you're doing a lot of dancing when you're teaching and when you're doing the thing but like it's funny how sometimes how you get into this because you love dancing, but it actually ultimately means that you probably dance a little bit less than you would like to do. So <laughs> which true. It's a weird yeah. paradox that I you're in. I think it's so probably true. that way with every profession. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So you start doing it, you love it, you get to a point to where people are wanting what you're doing, and then, and then you've lost it for yourself a little bit because you don't get the chance. But we love taking classes any chance we get. Uh, sometimes Jamie will teach a class and I'll jump in if I can. If I can be here and I can make it happen, I'll jump into class. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to travel back and forth to Mexico during the summer, so I'm able to take classes down there and uh, train a little bit with some really cool instructors. Train a little bit there, teach a little bit there. Yeah, train a little bit, teach a little bit. And then we bring out some really, really great instructors from, we brought out some from L.A. before Houston, and then we host workshops here, so we get to participate in the workshops we host here right. by that's, bringing out some coaches. That's fun. I, I love to hear that from teachers that like you're always trying to evolve and you're always trying to keep things a little bit fresh for both the company and also for yourselves too yeah absolutely, absolutely. the dance evolves we got we got to go with it too right. and when we can carl and i like to sneak out and find a really good like live jazz trio and get some dancing in they're really hard to find right now but um when, when we do they're kind of secret and they're kind of secret yeah and we get to get some good dancing in so on the lowdown people don't have to know so we want to keep those secret for you <laughs> <laughs> like our secret places yeah, yeah. they're they're harder they're they're farther and fewer in between now. right because you're right we don't really get to dance a lot so we teach more than we dance right and i imagine that like it's a different kind of satisfaction then right like so teaching true. dance is a, is a very different kind of satisfaction than competitive dancing, dancing or just dancing without right that. right no absolutely yeah it's so different but yeah we enjoy it We've been lucky we get we get to meet some amazing musicians. 
Yeah. Yeah. We've met some amazing musicians, some of, some of Chicago's best. And uh, yeah, so when we get to, if, if we get to get together and sneak away and go dance a little bit ourselves, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Do you get to have any live music either in the studio or at events that you guys do then? Or? We do time to time. Yeah? We, we do time to time. We would like more. Um, you've got to draw a big crowd. The, the dance scene in Chicago is somewhat segregated, so it makes it a little bit more difficult. If everybody was in support of the same direction, probably it'd be a little bit easier. You, in the end, you need funds and numbers to make things like that happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that you guys do events outside in the community too. I think that w the, one of the first ones that comes up when you Google your rise place is the the, the thriller on 38 <laughs> oh, yeah. one that you guys do. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, 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 had, I had not heard of it until I Googled it and looked around right. and I was like, this looks actually, this looks really sick. This looks cool. That's awesome. Yeah, no, we started it um, when I was younger. That was always my dream to have a Michael Jackson performance of Thriller. And um, I started it as like a small sidewalk performance right outside the studio. And we had like, I don't know, 20 dancers or so, maybe 15. And I posted on Facebook that we're going to be doing a thriller thing outside. And then all of a sudden we looked outside and people kept coming in. They're like, Jamie, there's people outside like waiting for the performance. And I'm like, what? And um, so we performed it and it became a thing. And then the next year I got the city involved and then we shut down this big second street right here. Mm -hmm. And uh, now it's a big thriller performance where we host a workshop. We have auditions where we have judges come in that audition all of them. And then we have a big performance. We bring out food trucks. And it's kind of like a Halloween Michael Jackson themed festival. We've got a DJ, Carl DJs. He's amazing. And uh, we had 105 dancers this year take the workshop. And we chose a team of 30. And so it was the largest amount we've ever had. And we had about 2,800 people show up, which was good and bad because yeah. <laughs> we weren't prepared for that. Yeah. And so a lot of people complained that they couldn't see it. Um, it is a free community event. We don't charge for right. it. Like it's just something I've always wanted to do for the community. Um, but that's kind of our, um, what we're dealing with right now is just how to make it visible to everybody. We expected it to get bigger and grow, which it has. Like expecting something to get bigger and grow and then talking between two and 3,000 people is a whole nother. It yeah. was insane. That's like, that was crazy. Full, it, like, costumes, makeup. Full zombie, zombie. attire, makeup, we prosthetics. We have makeup artists that come in and do all the work. Yeah. We have, uh, we have makeup artists. We have, there's, there's a lot that goes into Full red that. leather jackets. No, we have no Michael Jackson. <laughs> no Michael Jackson. I don't think, see, I don't think anybody deserves that. Yeah. Like, to me, that's it's a, a hard position to follow. It's a mantle. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It really is. So, no, we're just all zombies. And we um, perform it right on the street, so it looks very raw, kind of like the music video. That is sick. Did, did you guys record it? It's all over, yeah, our social media page right now. Oh. So we've got really cool drone footage. And see, that's, yeah. that's the beautiful thing about audio. I'm going to try to find that. I'm going to try to integrate that audio while we're talking right now. People will hear it. That'll be super awesome. cool. <laughs> oh, that's super cool. I love that. Yeah, did you get to see the drone footage yet or no? I've seen some of the drone footage, yeah. but I, I don't know if I've sought for that specific event. I think I just saw one of them that's on your Facebook page that's just okay. drone footage of the building. I don't think it was with that event. Oh, when, I know what you're talking about. When you about. see the drone footage that's focused year? on the piece from this year, yeah. and you see it drawing out from the crowd, and you see more crowd and more crowd and more crowd all the way down the block, it's insane. I was, I was DJing the event. I was on a stage, and I did not get that feel of it when I saw the drone footage I was like holy crap it was it was nuts it was nuts so we're trying to figure out ways to do it next year yeah um given our limited to zero funds <laughs> yeah. to still have people be able to see it <laughs> so that's the challenge but we're working on it so it's really cool I was gonna say I was like what else like what other music video or like was musical that iconic? theater thing that you could do that would be that iconic that you could do like street performance with. I don't know what that would be. I don't either. But I'm sure there's one out there that would be super cool. Yeah, you'd think, right? Like Footloose, we've done a few of those yeah, like kinds of Footloose things. Footloose, Hairspray type thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. Right, right, right. You had real good luck with the... Uh... Yeah, with Footloose. Fake ID. Fake ID. Yeah, that's Footloose. Yeah, that was really fun. The country line dancing thing has taken off right now, so... Really? Yeah, we've got some country classes going on, which are really fun. More than I would ever think. I know, but... Is that something that you guys had experience in beforehand, or you kind of not so much? I competed in country two-step a while back, and uh, one of my other instructors, Susan, she's phenomenal. She's teaching a big country two-step class right now, and it's so much fun. Like country is just—you either love it or you hate it, 
And if you love it, it's so much fun. I think it's like you either love it or you like really haven't given it a fair shake. You know what you I mean? You like country music? Yeah. I yeah, do too. Just, it just, I, I, it's, it's one of those things, especially with the dancing component too. Yeah. That once you really, you know, like once you're in the group and you're flowing with it, it doesn't even really matter at that point what you think about country music, but <laughs> that's really awesome. Agreed. <laughs> awesome. I don't think I mentioned to you both, and I, I should have, who nominated you to be on this show. Oh, yeah. Because we, we got know. an email, and I confess, we got the email a long time ago. But we had a big backlog, but we finally got to it. And I don't know if they still take classes with you or not. Okay. But her name is Marilyn Moltz. Do you know Marilyn? Oh, Marilyn. Absolutely. We love her so much. Another teacher. She recent, no, no, yeah, and she moved to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yes. Ah. Oh. She's a sweetheart. Oh, that's so sweet. Wisconsin, we miss her. I still hear from her time to time. Yeah. She'll drop me a line or drop me a note. She's pretty amazing. Where do you, do you, we were recommended or you knew her personally as well, a teacher? or She, years ago, was nominated to be on the show. And then in oh turn, she you know, I'm not passed so the shocked. baton over. Oh. And so to, 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 to you folks. And the thing I thought was so interesting is in the email, she had talked a lot about how that was one thing that, I think we mentioned COVID a little bit, that during that summer of 2020 she was like they were the ones that were keeping me going during that time and i really wanted to ask you because that not that i want to take anyone back to like the spring and summer of 2020 but like we still talk about it because we were we were a bit devastated we had some experiences of that yeah how did you guys obviously i'm sure that you had to pivot in, in in a lot of different ways at that point but what did that look like at that time for yeah I think it was especially hard for us because we are a partner dancing dance studio we don't teach solo dancing so whereas if you teach teach hip-hop or jazz you can just separate everybody right our business literally depends on you touching another person yeah so in the beginning we kind of had it where you had to pair up with somebody ahead of time where you'd feel comfortable with them Mm -hmm. so like hey I'm bringing in my friend Susie we both know we're okay we're gonna wear masks we're gonna do the whole thing Um, And then we had everybody, we had like spots marked off on the floors and you had to stay in your little corner. And it was a pain in the butt. Like it was not easy because you move around also in dance, right? That was beside the shutdown. That was beside the shutdown. So yeah, we were shut down for a long time. Um, I mean, not many people in Geneva got breaks on their rent just because, you know, your landlords are in the same position that you're in, right? right? They've got mortgages. They still have taxes, et cetera, they have to pay. So it was tough. A lot of people, I, I think, one of the biggest downsides to that was a lot of people had no idea. Nobody knows what you do interviewing that's never done your job. Right. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people in all the different jobs and all the different professions that were shut down like that, the peop- there were a lot of people that weren't affected at all. Mm-hmm. And then there were a lot of people that were devastated and lost their life, business, their family business. So right. I think that caused a lot of a lot of craziness that people don't still to this day understand. If, if you're not affected by it at all, often people don't understand. And I think a lot of people don't understand what was going on during that time. So it was insane, especially, especially for this business, because people are still trying to pay a lease that's uh, substantial and astronomical in Geneva. Uh, Geneva. Geneva and a lot of these towns are beautiful towns. Geneva's uh, a very beautiful town. And I think a lot of people have no idea how devastating that was to some of these private businesses. It was insane. Yeah. So uh, it was hard for that. And then coming out of that, there was it was a long, it was a long haul out of that too. Remember when it started, it was going to be a two-week thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's going to be wrapped up by Easter at some point, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Remember? Yeah. Just crazy. I remember lots of mornings waking up crying just in my pillow, just not thinking about how we were going to get through it. Like, I really, I didn't think we were going to make it through being able to pay, pay my rent every month and not bring in any, it was just not fun. And then, and then that wasn't the only thing going on at that time. Right. There There was was a lot lot of other stuff stuff going on too. Have you been in Geneva for a long, long time? In the area, but not necessarily specifically in Geneva. There was a period of time when Geneva was literally, I have pictures on my Facebook page. There was a, a time when Geneva was boarded up and it looked like Detroit. It looked like a bad Detroit movie. It was bad, yeah. And that was actually right when we were allowed to open again. The whole town got right. boarded up. So, um, cause there was lots of so stuff going insane. on in the world. So it was just like, we couldn't win. 
Yeah. But we weren't the only ones. Right. You know, right. So. Did you guys try to do virtual stuff? I'm sure like uh, so we many people did. did or outdoor or I don't even know what. We, we did some outdoor stuff actually. We did, did outdoor. Did stuff. We did the online thing. A lot of my instructors, they were kicking butt with that. They were really trying their hardest to, to do the online thing too. But at the end of the day, it's not the same. And when you talk about the reasons why people take dance, yeah. the biggest one is connection and community so you're missing that no matter what like talking to someone via text message is never going to be the same as coming into the studio so it just wasn't in my opinion gonna ever make it I long term zoom 101 yeah oh yeah we did private lessons over zoom that was interesting god help us so, there yeah we're, I, i've we're been using zoom for so long i still find new technical difficulties with that one yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i forgot about the zoom private lessons oh it was terrible Oof. i was terrible <laughs> so bad yeah because then you have to like it's not just like you know zoom on your face like you have to like step back and like be in the frame for can it. You see Opposite. My feet? everything's backwards can you see my feet? yeah, yeah. yeah. No, everything's Luke, backwards your left, left is your right on the camera your right is your left type deal yeah uh, yeah that was not not great and there's always a delay five six seven eight i you, mean you were a good sport <laughs> at trying to sort that stuff out my patience was negative yeah. five yeah. I never want to do that again. So. So you mentioned that, like, like, and then after that, when things got to reopen again, mm-hmm. it took a little bit to get back in the extremely pun intended into the swing of things. Absolutely. Because, like, I think that for teaching, especially in like that kind of um, community part of it, that connection part of it, that's not really a, a switch that you can just flip on and off. Right. Do you People remember? People are still shook up. I was gonna say, I was gonna ask if you feel like if it's about normal now, or if you remember some moments, you know, as we're getting out of this, when you started to feel kind of that magic come back a little bit. We're we're fortunate in that we have a a good following mm-hmm. and a good attraction. I think we've been really fortunate with that, but normal isn't the same anymore. It really isn't. Yeah. Uh, we still have. Um, if you looked at that, like we have a Friday night that we do, and Friday night is an opportunity that probably a lot of studios don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, in that we do have the the liquor license, liquor license, and it allows us on Friday night to do a gig uh, where we do like a half hour, forty minute lesson of uh, swing or, or salsa, and then we do a, we let them finish out the hour with practicing what they just learned. And then we do like a half hour, 40 minute lesson of, of swing. And then we let them finish out that hour doing the same, practicing, going over what they just went. And when they're, while they're doing that, we bring the lights down a little bit. We turn other lights on. Yeah. We have the music going. So they have their bottle of wine or their beer or their bottle of wine. And they're having a couple of drinks and they're relaxing and they're practicing what they just learned, trying to take that with them. And that environment has opened up a, a, a nice exposure celebratory environment where it's not so uptight yeah. and people feel a little bit more relaxed about trying something new and they have people with them that they kind of trust and they just went through a class with a bunch of new people so they feel a little bit more relaxed around them, not so self-conscious. Mm-hmm. So it's not as intimidating and I feel like that night has brought, helped bring back a lot of the magic that was there before. Mm-hmm. Without that, I don't know if it would be the same. It's true. I don't, I don't know if it would have been the same. Do you remember that, Jamie, when things started to click back a little bit? In yeah, the, it took a while, though, yeah. especially just for people to feel safe coming out because, again, you're right. touching people. And another thing to mention is in any adult dance studio where you teach partner dancing, you're rotating partners. Right. Because you don't just have all couples. you got a lot of people coming without partners. Yeah. So in order to make the numbers work, you have to rotate partners. Otherwise, you've got 17 women without partners and 17 guys without partners, and they don't know each other. So in order for all of them to feel safe dancing with one another and then rotating from person to person to person, that took a while. So now we're back to normal, I would say, yeah. like 94% maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just the fact that we're, we're touching people all the time. It took a while, so. But I don't, I don't remember the moment it clicked. It yeah. just, it's been a really slow draw. Has the, the things that people are looking for or like the motivations, has that changed since the, the pandemic or is it just? I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. I think it's all the same. Yeah. I think it's all the same. Yeah, I think it's the same. And, if not and more now, now more social. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more, th- more than ever more now desire. because you see people that have like, 
the shutdowns hurt people, yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, mentally, physically, financially. So especially the people who were hit mentally, they just they feed off that that connection with people. Uh -huh. You know, they're craving it or they were craving most it. Are so. So, I think most are social beings. Yeah. And they, they need some sort of communication, some sort of, and a lot of people lost that for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think there, you definitely see people needing that worse than ever. Mm -hmm. But it's back now, I would say. Yeah. It's, and I, I assume that both of you guys, to some degree or another, probably specialize in specific different styles of, yeah. of dance then? Or, or do you overlap a lot? Him and I overlap a lot. Um, I used to be what you'd call like the jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> is what I, how I put it. Um, I mean, I've studied dance my entire life. I've, I studied salsa the most. That was my, my love and my passion, just from all my trips back and forth to Mexico and living there. But um, nowadays, I study salsa, I study swing because of Carl, and um, an Argentine tango I've been digging into a little bit. Can we teach all of the dances? Yes, I can teach 16 dances. But would I say I'm the master at all of them? No. Um, Carl's got a few specialties yeah. too. And now people kind of primarily know you for, for swing dancing then, Carl? Mm -hmm. Yes, that was, uh, that was my thing for a long time. And then I started spending a lot more time in the salsa scene. We're lucky we have some amazing salsa in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So I, had, I was running in and out of the city for a long time, trying to catch onto that. But you, but were, also swing living, salsa. you were also living in London, like swinging it out a lot. I was spending a lot of time running back and forth for a while. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to train with some amazing people on a world-class level. So uh, just being around them helped a lot. It made it so I could catch on a lot. Uh, I had a lot of connections for a while in England. So I was traveling back and forth to the UK and spending time training and DJing and dancing there. Also. Yeah. I asked for that same reason that you guys both touched on, which is, you know, the show is kind of fundamentally based on the idea that, that everyone has had a teacher in their life who really, you know, helped or inspired them, helped them become who they are today. You know, whether that be a classroom teacher, whether that be a dance instructor, anyone under that umbrella, I'm sure you guys have had a lot of different dance instructors, a lot of different teachers over the years. I am curious if there's folks, you, you talked about Mexico a little bit, you talked about London a little bit, that when you think back now about the folks who really, really helped you or that you think about, are there any, you, know, you don't have to necessarily even call out a specific person, but when you think back about the teaching or learning experiences that you had that made a huge impression on you, like what just comes to mind when you think of that? Honestly, um, I've been lucky, like Carl, to be trained by some fabulous people. Um, one was downtown in the city of Chicago, but honestly, I've learned a lot from Carl. Like him and I just met four or five years ago. And I mean, he's what I would consider one of my mentors as far as teaching and, and swing dancing. So I've learned as much from him than I've, that I've learned from anybody else in my whole career of teaching. And the, the Mexico thing I wanted to ask you, too, yeah. but you said that you've had chances to study down there, to live down there for study, a little bit. Study, teach, live. Um, I, think that's, I think that's what started my whole passion for partner dancing, just salsa and the culture and the food and the music and the people. And How did that opportunity go um, come about? So my father is um, a volunteer with Habitat for Humanity. Yeah. So he travels all over the world every single, almost every day of the year. Um, building houses for Habitat, and he spent a lot of time in Latin America, so Guatemala, and a lot in Veracruz, Mexico, and so I was lucky enough to be able to go down there with him and spend some time, and then um, we just spent a lot of time in Mexico in general, so I was there, you know, three, four times a year, every year since the time I was seven, Wow! so it was a lot, and it was just a lot of immersion into the culture, and dance is such a big part of their culture down there, and I think that's something we don't have here, you know, you you walk into Walgreens and they've got salsa music on in Mexico. You walk down the street and every single night there's people dancing in the street. We don't have that here. So it was just full on immersion into That's awesome. they, that life. They take advantage of that on a different level. It seems like in Mexico, do you get to go very often? No, not often, no. It's been a long time. 
Mexico really takes advantage of music. They, anywhere you go, whether it's to a restaurant or a resort or shopping, they have DJs everywhere there. <laughs> and they're like a and gas station you'll walk into and they're and, just thumping. And they're pumping the music. It's phenomenal. And it puts, it, it puts a different feeling in the air when that's happened. It's like yeah. if you've gone into a store uh, years ago, now, now we're going back, years ago like The Gap or, or some of the sh clothes shopping stores around here would have the right, you'd walk in and you'd go, your foot would start tapping, you'd be like, mm -hmm. yeah, somebody's jamming it too. That's my jam. <laughs> somebody's playing the music here. In Mexico, they do that everywhere. They really take advantage of that. I don't know why we haven't picked mm -hmm. that up yet, but they do. But I fell in love with it. So. Whether it's in a bar, whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's in shopping, yeah. they really utilize music a lot. And it has an effect on the way people feel when they're in that place. So I'm surprised we don't do that more here. But trying yeah. to create your own little microcosm of Creating that here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you still get the chance to go down there frequently? Or? Yeah, I just I was there um, June and July of this past year, um, and then I'll be going back again in another month to teach. So um, different resorts and things like that. So it's super fun. That's really lucky. Be a, a different teaching environment. Too. Uh, you know what? It's actually very similar to really? here because it's a lot of Americans that I'm oh, teaching. Oh yeah, well that makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. and they're all on vacation, so it's it's you know my my, my students might as well just fly down and I'll work That's with true. them there. And like they're but on vacation, so people are happy to be there. They're excited for sure. to do this. Yeah. They don't have other responsibilities on their shoulders right <laughs> after they get that. out. Yeah. Right. Right. But what I like exposing them to is exactly what we were just talking about. It's that whole just musical culture of it's everywhere. And it, it's just such a, a unique, beautiful thing. So it's one of many reasons why I love going down there. And then Carl, for, for you, when you think about the, again, teachers, instructors, experiences that you had that shaped you, again, it could be dance, it could be, you know, your 11th grade English teacher. Just what, what, think, what comes to mind when you think about it? Right. Um, I remember seeing a, a being young and, and early in my teaching I remember being young and, and teaching very, very early on in. And I remember watching a, a movie, it was like a documentary, about a professional dance teacher, a ballet teacher called by the name of Jacques Dubois. And I just remember seeing that. And I remember just thinking, watching the whole uh, thing. He was preparing a play. His son's a professional ballerina. And I remember him preparing this play and a and, and being able to push these kids to a different level. And I remember one of the kids, just before the play came up, they were working hours and hours and hours and hours in the, in the theater. And just before the play came up, one of this, these kids broke his arm. And I remember seeing, they, they videoed the whole thing where the kid, he broke his arm and he was freaking out in the hospital not that his arm was broke. People were filming it, and it wasn't that his arm was broke. He had to face Jacques Dubois and, and explain he was gonna miss the play because he broke his arm. And they're showing him walking into the theater, and it's all on video, and he's in tears. And he's trying to explain he broke his arm, and his arm's in a cast. <laughs> he just gotten out of the hospital, his arm's in a cast, and his worst nightmare is trying to explain to the person who's running the choreography why he can't be in it now. And Jacques Dubois ended up putting him in the lead role. Wow. And it was, it was uh, really touching to see how hard this guy could push these kids and how much he could get out of them. And all I could think of after seeing that documentary was this man has no limits. He will turn up the volume to any level to get what he can get out of these kids. And I thought that was an amazing level of teaching. That was an inspiration of teaching at a different level. And then I'm always, uh, I'm always enthusiastic about seeing professionals at whatever they do. When you're seeing people doing whatever they're doing at a, at a, a level that's amazing and hard to believe, uh, that always kind of gives me chills. So I like that. So I've been fortunate enough to where in my dance time, I've been around people that I've watched in the dance world. Um, and and they, I, I watch them and it gives me chills. I love to see people that are just really, really, really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. So that's always 
uh, been inspirational to me down that lane. But I, again, I, it, that makes me think of what you were saying earlier, that the art form in itself and the teaching, sometimes they don't meet. So I guess uh, my goal is always to try and meet some sort of balance on that. Yeah, yeah, that's always, the balance is what you said about like uh, having to figure out how far you can push someone while also, you know, keeping the trust and keeping them engaged with that of how that's it, it, always just the calculus that you're having to do is how much you can push someone, how much you can pull them back in and have them still be, you know, trusting you and trusting the process. Every so single day. I think because of Carl's martial arts background, not I think, I know, his teaching style is extremely different than most. Um, so, and you can kind of already imagine where I'm going with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I, please go ahead, but I actually, when Marilyn emailed <laughs> there, she like described both of you, and I think that she's just a great writer. It was very evocative, and right. I wanted to read what she said about you oh, guys. Oh, I'm so excited! It was very, very cool, and what you said was was really reminding me of that. But it's, I will pull that up. But sorry, yeah, definitely you. pull that up. Um, I've I've always told all my students that not every teacher is for every student, and not every student is for every teacher, because we all have different styles and we all need different things. But Carl will push you until you, almost until your breaking point but because he wants you to be the best you can be. And I've watched that. And the people who can handle it become the best dancers in the Midwest. And I've, I've seen his product, I've seen what he creates. And if you can be pushed and if you can take a little bit more of that pressure, then he'll turn you into something incredible. But not everybody's ready for that, not everybody wants that, not everybody can handle it. But if you can, then he will do it he can transform you. And he's one of the only people I've ever seen be able to do that. But it doesn't always go over well. <laughs> I, assume your, I assume that earlier in your career, Carl, it was a little bit more difficult to know when to, where to strike that balance. For sure. Yeah. Most definitely. Because it was a hitting and striking I think it art. took me way, <laughs> yeah. it probably took me way too long to figure that out. It probably took me way longer than it should have to figure that out. And it's funny that you should say, because I think Marilyn is probably very, I've never had the luxury of seeing her in a classroom, and I would love to have. I bet she's amazing. Because she has a different, she has this, uh, she has a very different outlook, I think, than a lot of people. So that's amazing. Yeah, so I want to read you what she said. Oh, I'm so dying do you want me to, to start, yeah. you want me to start with you? Start with Carl. Start, start with Carl. Because it reminded me <laughs> what you were talking about with the, the intensity of it. Sure. He said that Carl uh, is demanding, playful teacher devoted to his students and to the dance and she put the dance in quotations which I thought it was cool because it, it felt like it wasn't just specifically like the style but just like almost like the ethos of, of the oh, dance like too what do you think about that that's flattering from her because yeah. I think she's probably a good judge of things like that because demanding and playful is also a really difficult balance to strike. You are so correct. So <laughs> correct. I couldn't agree more. But I think if he were just demanding, he wouldn't be able to get the results that he does. It's because yeah. he's able to lighten it and then bring it back down again. Yeah, just purely demanding is a tough one on a Friday yes. night. For, yeah, right, right. To, yeah. Right, well, I, don't, I think if you were just demanding and you were more like the Russian ballet, right. I, don't, I don't think you would keep, you wouldn't. I get, not in this dance world, you wouldn't keep, social dance is still, it's a celebratory thing and it's, and it's a, a hobby. These people aren't dancing for a living. So you, you have to watch how hard you push. You do have to watch how hard yeah, you push. They have, to, they have to trust you. And, the, and they have to be, and they do have to have fun. They do have, to have, they do have to have some sort of, every time they come out, there has to be some sort of gratification if you don't have some sort of gratification, it won't stick. Yeah. They won't stay. But what Marilyn said about you, Jamie, here we go. It was, Jamie is polished and warm, and this is the cool one, is a determined teaching powerhouse. Powerhouse <laughs> is really cool. I'd like to be described that in any way. Powerhouse, powerhouse, that's great. Interesting. <laughs> but I like the, the, it was like, 
the polished and warm also seems like a fun one because in some way like you know, like polished is very like technical but then warm is also again right. that seems like sort of a balance too right well i think that might be why carl and i balance each other out a little bit um but that's flattering she's that's that's very flattering really coming flattering. from Ellen, that's very flattering yeah but i think uh i think the one of the reasons why you and i work well teaching together is because you're a little bit more Mm, demanding and dry a little less warm. and then I can balance them out with <laughs> with the warmth just a tad but um, yeah it works out pretty well demanding yes you are <laughs> you are demanding yeah okay <laughs> you gotta be right this is <laughs> she's gotta be gotta she, be uh, <laughs> she not only has to do all the teaching that the other teachers here have to do she does all that and more she teaches more than any of us she puts in more time on the floor than any of us and runs the business, which is a, we're talking about the dance and the teaching being separate factors. Yeah, and this is a, and a, then still a third trying job to, on top yes, of uh, all of that. A third full-time job. And she does it, and, and, and the way she does it, she still maintains that warmth and that care for the clientele and looks at it, never fails to see it from their perspective. So she's not just running a business where it's all about finances because it's truly not. When you see her in action, it's truly not all about finances. And when you see what she gives and what she does, it's never just all about finances under any circumstances. Um, but she manages to keep that balance and keep the doors going. She manages to keep it all balanced because if it doesn't all balance, it will all cease to exist. And she juggles that really, really well better than anybody and I've, I've been teaching dance now for about 25 years and I've never uh, I've never been able to run a run business or help run business with another entity like this and I've gotten to work and with people entity. everywhere yeah. and a powerhouse wow yeah yeah <laughs> so she she does it in a way that is above and beyond fair for everybody and that's I'm in awe by it all the time. So. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I only have a few more questions for both of you. One of them, I feel like, as people have been listening, are probably would, would kill me if I didn't ask. But especially, I have to ask Carl, just basically, like, from your martial arts background, that has to impact you as a dancer in terms of just the movement. So could, I'm sure you've been asked about this plenty of times before, but how the martial arts impacts the dancing just as a mover just as a dancer exactly as you you say in order to do what I did uh, I helped coach the kids junior AAU team as a youth when I was young and we had to take a lot of training in order to do that mm -hmm. we had to take a lot of special training in coaching etc cetera, etc cetera. so I think when you're teaching something that involves uh, kinesiology or any kind of dynamic movement to me dissecting it is the same so when people say I've had people ask me which one would you rather teach and it was never a matter of that one just eventually dominated one was easier to do without extreme marketing blah 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 times have changed what people want in the world are different but when it comes to teaching uh, anything that involves body dynamics analyzing to me analyzing uh, kinesiological movement or body dynamics is the same no matter what you're doing if you can analyze physical movement and dynamics and you can break it down so people can understand what they need to do and how their body's working and why it makes it easier for them to understand you got to come at it for different ways for different people but so if one helped me I would say it would be analyzing what I want changed and how I would like them to change it and then being able to break it down so that no matter where they're from and what their background is, they can, oh, I understand. Right. So they can, they can see that light bulb and they can make that change. That, for me, the transition to that was easy. The change was like what we were talking about earlier with really realizing that everybody has a very different reason for and motivation for doing this. Mm -hmm. And the level in which you need to take every individual is different. So adapting to that was probably my hardest. Mm -hmm. uh, but one definitely helped the other in right. 
in the realm of teaching. Yeah, and breaking down the, the physical, like the kinesiology of it is really cool too because it's like anything with teaching also where, you know, like think if you're in like a high school like geometry class and you're like doing, you know, trying to find the hypotenuse of a triangle or something. Right. <laughs> and no, like, no, like, of course, one of the questions you're gonna get is like, why are we doing, like literally like, why is this important? Like, why do I need to know this? And I know a lot of teachers that are at this, like once you get a little bit more confident, more than willing to be like, I'll tell you exactly why this is important. You know, like I'll tell you exactly, but it's the same thing where like when you're doing a certain thing in dance or a certain movement or a certain step, there's something empowering about like, I'll tell you exactly why you need to do this. I'll tell you exactly why it's important. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it probably helped that I'm a slow learner myself. <laughs> yeah. So I had, so, so that helped. That yeah. probably helped. So I have, um, it's really easy for me to be empathetic with people who are really challenged and have a hard time picking up what seems to be very simple. I'll end you off. I've got two questions that are basically the same. They're just framed slightly different. One of them primarily through the lens of teaching, one of them primarily through the lens of dance. And it's one of the last ones we like to end, ask at the end of all my interviews, which is usually we say, like, what's something either that you wish more people knew or that you think is more important than people might realize who aren't thinking about this stuff every day. So for either of you, is there something about, we'll start with teaching, finish with dancing. Is there something about teaching that you wish more people knew or think is more important than, than people realize? You'd probably come up with the same answer on this one. What Say are you it. thinking? Is there something that I wish that more people knew about teaching? I don't think it's, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's anything new that people do not understand. Like, if, you can't, if we can't pass, if, we, if you can't pass things on, we're all in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. If we, can't, if we can't pass things on and, and whatever is being taught dies here, we're all in trouble. Nobody's going to benefit long run. Nobody's going to benefit long term. We all have a limited amount of time to, to pass on whatever it is we have if we want to do that. I like to think that a, the, the difference between a good teacher and an amazing teacher is a good teacher has the ability to translate information. An amazing teacher is inspirational. Mm -hmm. they, make you, they help you want it. They inspire you to want whatever it is. Discipline isn't necessarily somebody beating you over the head with a stick. It's them holding their hand out going, this is what's here. If you want it, you're going to have to pay a price to get it. Mm -hmm. So I, we need to be able to pass it on. So I think I, w I wish people understood more how important quality teachers are. And when we find them, I always have my eyes open. Uh, I have somebody mentoring me right now. I spend when I'm not in the studio doing this, I'm spending more and more time DJing and doing live sound, helping with sound support for musicians. And I have a couple people that have helped me in the last few months. And uh, those, those mentors are really, re the good ones are really hard to find. Mm -hmm. Really, really hard to Absolutely. find. So that's what I would say about teaching. Yeah. As, as far as dance goes, I think one of the biggest misconceptions, at least what we do, with what we do is, um, people have a hard time separating dance from teaching. So I think we automatically get like, oh my God, you guys get to dance all day. You have the best job ever. This right, and we right. do, and we do, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, there's a, a, a lot of physical toll that goes into it. There's a lot of hours that go into it. And j when we're teaching, to us, that's not dancing, right? No. Like we're teaching, it's, it's, it's work. We're putting our all into our students and stuff like that. But um, so that's one thing is that I think people think we just dance all day. Right, like, oh, she gets to go to work. She gets to dance 12 hours a day. This must be super fun, and it is super fun. But it's definitely, it's definitely a job. And then two is just the, I think the physical toll it takes on us. Um, you know, we're we're in and out of injury all the time. A lot of my instructors are always in and out of injury. All professional dancers are. Um, Thank so goodness in the studio we have a massage therapist that we have to utilize more yeah. often than we wish. So I don't, I don't think if I don't think people really realize how much of a physical toll it takes on an instructor's body to dance all day too. 
Yeah, because people coming in for an hour on a Friday night to, to dance. They're like, dance is a workout? What? Yeah, yeah it's not going to you know? be the, the biggest, you know, yeah. physical toll. But every day, all day. For sure. Completely different thing. So, today, like, little things like that. Yeah. But Today, we started, I, what was my first lesson, 11 o'clock today? Yeah. We'll finish at 9 or 10 tonight. We'll right. be getting out of here. At, we'll be getting out of here at ten, ten thirty tonight. And that's a normal day, but yeah. we love it. Yeah, because you, and you guys have to be on physically, like you have to be prepared, and you have right. to be on like emotionally, like socially, to mm-hmm. be able to to do that each and every day. Right. Yeah. Hope you guys get to some time to relax. Even when you're we'll, going to Mexico, you're going to work too. We're going to work, <laughs> we'll but find, it's really fun we'll work. Find those <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll find those little yeah. cubby holes that we told you about earlier that we don't that we don't tattle on ourselves with. We'll find right. those we'll find those jazz musicians here and there in these cubby holes that are amazing that people don't know about. And we'll yeah. do what we do. All right. Well, I guess well enough being like if people are interested in coming by, where should they go? Where can they find you? All that type of stuff. Yeah, so they can check out uh, our website, so vargosdance.com or they can check us out on social media, which is just Vargos Dance on Facebook or Instagram. And we're always here. Yeah. Dance, date night, drinks. What Dance, for, right? date night, drinks. All the above. All the above. <laughs> Thank you for everything. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks this was fun. That was Jamie Vargo and Carl Linder. Thank you so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get all of our great guests. You can send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And please keep sending your story ideas there too. And wherever you're hearing the podcast, please do subscribe, leave us a rating or share it. If you like what we do, it really is the best way to get even more perspectives on the show. You can subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep track of everything going on with the show. You can find a link to do that at this episode's webpage over at WNIJ.org. And a big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the music you hear each and every episode of this show. And I've been your host, Peter Mudlin, and we'll be back with even more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.